Welcome to episode 46 of Chin Music. It's a podcast presented by Fangrass in bitterly cold DeKalb, Illinois. I'm Kevin Goldstein, and joining me for, I think you're, I'm quite sure you're the record holder for co-hosting jobs from yep. lovely Arizona, where I'm sure it's much warmer than it is here. It's Eric Longenhagen. Eric, how are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm good. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yeah, that's right. It has let's been, just say, uh... Let's just say it like we haven't talked this year. Wow, yes, Happy New Year, 2022. Isn't it surreal? <laughs> Time dilation and all that. It's true. How, I don't know, do you, you guys didn't really, I mean, why would anyone go do anything at this no. point, I guess, but like. No, we uh, uh, we stayed home and, and the only thing we did was uh, we, we bought alcohol to make interesting cocktails that we wouldn't normally have in the house. Yeah, and I rolled That's the it. dice. And you went, went out. out. Yeah, no, we drank uh, white Russians and black martinis. Uh, and, I rolled and, the dice. and then after two or three of them, we ordered pizza and cheese fries at like eleven thirty at night. White Russians. My uncle Greg used to do white Russians back, uh, you know, when most of my family was still in Pennsylvania, and we'd all be at my grandma's for uh, Christmas, New Year's type stuff somewhere during the course of that week. And there were like dozens and dozens of people in my grandma's house, and my uncle Greg was just tasked with doing white Russians and he'd do like a little dark chocolate uh, shaving mm-hmm. on, the, on the very top mm-hmm. of them. Oh, it's a milkshake with alcohol. That's fine. Yeah. What's a black, uh, mar- what is the black Russian martini? There's no Russian in there. Just a black martini. Black it's martini. Just, what is that? Yeah, Vodka and Chambord. Okay. That's all. Nothing complicated. Um, we're going to do a show. We're okay. Gonna, yeah. Give you an update on the lockout, um, which won't take long. Uh, we want to talk a little bit about some some media news that happened this just this morning. Um, I wanted to have a talk with you about COVID uh, in a baseball-related fashion with some of the things going on. Um, I guess we'll also talk about the other media news with uh, Ken Rosenthal and MLB Network. And then we'll do what you and I do best, which is talk about prospects, talk about the Blue Jays, we'll talk about the Brewers, we'll talk about the Tigers. Um, there's no guest this week. The show's going to be a little different during the lockout. We need, you know, we need baseball for baseball podcasts, but we have, we have plenty to talk about anyway, and we'll, we'll talk about our musical guest, Strange Light, returning to the podcast uh, with things from their new EP, The World Needs Laughter. We'll get into your emails. We'll catch up with Eric Strange Life. We'll do a moment <laughs> of culture, and we'll be out of here. Let's start with a lockout update, Eric. There is no update. That feels pretty consistent with the way we've <laughs> discussed this in the past. So, um, you know, I, I chat over at Fangraphs every Monday, um, and I always get the question, why, when are they going to start talking? And the answer, I, I said an over-under on the first time you'll hear about uh, either discussions or scheduled discussions at January 17th. Um, that feels a little optimistic right now. I think it might be more late January if I set the over-under today. Um, 
I still think we are going to have the season get impacted, but not in a major way. Um, I don't think you'll have spring training till March. Uh, I think you'll have some compression to the schedule in spring training. And, and my over-under on games played is 154. What, does that make sense to you? Or are you, you above or below that? The way that I've most interacted with this is late last night rather than do what I should have been doing, which is write Tigers blurbs. I started looking at every college baseball schedule that I could to try to figure out, like, when am I going to the southeast to see a mix of amateur ball and spring training stuff. And, yeah, like, at least for me, it's going to impact some of this stuff on my end and, like, when I see my mom for the first time in a couple of years, like she moved to Florida during the pandemic, which I know is very questionable. Uh, <laughs> but uh, like, I got to go see her at some point. Right. And I'm going to tie that into seeing uh, baseball and stuff in Florida. And so I, that is where I, my sights are set is like, if I'm booking something relatively soon, which again, I recognize is dumb. Uh, it will probably be with some cushion into March so I can double up, you know, amateur stuff that will be going on then, although the highest concentration of it is happening mostly in late February. So um, mm-hmm. I, it is better for me the sooner that things come together, but I agree with you. At this point, it's January 6th. Uh, I would have guessed that by now there was – there. I would have guessed that there was some sort of plan to come together at some point around now for the first time. Um But that guess would have been wrong, and I agree with you that at, at this point the 17th seems a little bit – like I would bet the over on that at this point, I guess. Uh, but we, right. I, we don't have any real – at least I don't have any real knowledge of what's going on. When I'm on the phone with folks, it's – we're talking about – There's nothing you know, going mostly. on. Yeah, there's nothing yeah, that I mean, yeah. they know. Um, I want – I kind of – I so that, that, there's really not much to say because there's nothing going on. I do want to kind of transfer. I don't want to talk about – so I want to talk about what's going on with COVID and how it applies to baseball. You talked about how you were looking at college schedules. Right. Um, and how you would plan a trip to the southeast, and how <laughs> well, stuff's going on in February, and like, like if if we were at the level we are at right now, a month from now, and the world was normal, would you still go? No, because I just, I mean, I just blew off going home for Christmas for the third year in a row, like so. No, but I also realized that like. I I just have to have my shit together in the event that yeah, this sure. wave crests quickly, you know, in the way that it, it has maybe in other countries, although obviously it is different because of the structure of travel and, you know, the dynamic of the various, like, uh, habitats we have in the United States. Like, it's not going to spread at one shot through the whole thing like it would in a smaller country, you know? So like any of that stuff is, it's all up in the air. It's all up in the air all the time. And anytime I was looking at any of the college schedules, like I know that I have to have contingency plan B and C, even if I am out there, because the chances of a college series that I've traveled across the country to being banged because of COVID, at some point it seems pretty high, right? So like I have to have, series B or C to go drive to in the event that series A gets banged at a moment's notice. So like that's all part of, you know, the thing too. And then again, like it's Florida. And so my risk of like being killed by something poisonous or uh, (laughs) an alligator, 
yeah, like that's already high. Um, but you know, I gotta at some point, like I gotta see my mom, and I might as well see baseball while I'm driving <laughs> through Florida to see my mom. Um, so I, it, maybe it's just me. This might be this. This could be. I'll, I'll preface this. This might be purely anecdotal, right? Um, but I felt like when things were going to shit in 2020, like I didn't know a ton of people who had COVID. Like I knew a few. I talked to some people who got it, and it was bad. Um, but now it feels like everyone I know has COVID. And I made two phone calls. I made three phone calls yesterday. The first person had COVID, and they were boosted and everything, and 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 just didn't feel great and had the sniffles and a and, and a bit of a sore throat. Um, but the the boosting certainly helped them. The second person's uh, was at home taking care of the kids because his wife had COVID and she was boosted and she was quite ill. Like it was knocking her on her ass. The third person I talked to, I joked that, please don't tell me you have COVID. And was, and he said, no, I had tested positive two days after Christmas and like had it for about four days. And, you know, I, it, 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 I talked, to, um, talked to a lot of people with teams lately, um, you know, the ones that aren't supposed to talk to us. And, uh, you know, one team... Um, was getting ready to have some meetings at their complex in Florida and said no. Um, and now that meeting is happening, um, you know, virtually over, over Zoom or, or whatever. Um, I talked to someone with another team who, you know, HR said, hey, like, only come to the office if you really need to. If you don't have a really good reason to come to the office, work from home um, and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, with these people, I've always kind of said, can you imagine where baseball would be if, if this was happening during the regular season, um, you know, I think we've seen like basketball and hockey seem to just be like doing their best to not disrupt their schedule, no matter who it, what it means, who's playing. Um, yes. You know, they I don't quickly follow- adjusted to the CDC five day thing. <laughs> like they were happy to do that and point to the CDC and say, blame them. You know, this is the right. federal guidance that we have. Uh, there, I was watching some G League basketball late last night, and the quite a life you leave. The GM of the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, G League team, they were playing the Delaware Bluecoats last night, so I put it on for like five minutes. But they were talking about like basically the NBA teams have had to siphon talent up away from the G League at such a rate that the G League has had to find places from which to siphon talent. Mm. And they created like a communal taxi squad of players who were playing on three, you know, on three consecutive games. They were on three different teams' rosters. Like they're just mercenary dudes they're the who of the are game just happens. filling rosters in the G League while there are so many guys up in the NBA right now. So teams are, yeah. yeah. That's when it was time not to go to – Christmas wedding, you know, family stuff in the Northeast. Like I was going to fly into Newark and I was just like, no, you know, I'm not going to be on three planes to, I miss everyone, but like, no, I can't be on three planes and then see you all for a week. No. Right. Um, so, you know, the, the Chicago Tribune tweeted yesterday, I don't remember the player's name, but like, you know, some Bulls player X uh, has entered the, the health and safety protocols, I think is the term. Uh, and becomes the 18th Chicago Bowl to enter this year. And I'm like, isn't a roster 12? And they've had 18 on the on the thing. And you're just, it's just the weirdest thing in the world. And and so I want you to, to move us up three months from now. And if this was going on and there was a baseball regular season, imagine that there's a CBA. Um, 
this would be untenable, right? Like in, in, in a world with that much travel and, five, and and six or seven games a week, how would they do it? If we look to the breakouts that occurred in like the Marlins, Cardinals, like you just give hardship exemptions basically to to players to relieve 40-man pressure and this and that. Mm-hmm. And you're just pulling deeper from your AAA player pool, I suppose. I think that, like, you know, if you're putting the question to me and I'm just brainstorming, like, riffing on it off the cuff, I'd want to have some sort of contingency plan in place as Major League Baseball to say, like, these teams are shutting down because of COVID and, like, this mechanism that, like, conjoins these other teams to play is, like, already in place. Like, we're playing regionalized games and teams that have to shut things down for a while because of an outbreak can do so while we, like, are dynamic with this regional schedule that we have. Um, Mm. Or, like, pausing things so that healthy teams... Like, if it were so bad, the way... At one point, there were, like, 100 NHL players in the COVID protocol... Yeah, I talked to um, someone else who like has an NFL friend, and, and he said like at one point like a, more than a third of their roster was positive. Yeah, the Saints, and these are leagues that have ninety plus percent vaccination rates. When the, at baseball had eight or nine teams that couldn't get to seventy five, the Saints had twenty two players in protocol at one point of like a fifty seven man roster or whatever. Mm-hmm. Their seventh string, well, not seventh string, it would have been like the fourth string tackle, you know, was playing in a game. Uh, so. I, I think that the other interesting thing maybe again, just like shooting from the hip, uh, having a, a midseason tournament like, okay, four teams need to shut down, and so we're going to like take a break, and then there will be like a you know pool play style tournament for draft space or something like some other auxiliary wow. thing mm-hmm. just in the event games. that it is so bad that you have like a dozen healthy teams or whatever it is. Like something like, that is of interest, like seeing, you can isolate those teams somewhere for a little while. Right, like like seeing basketball and hockey just like muddle through. Um, though hockey did shut down for a few days, right? Um, yes. Just you and just some think, teams really shut down for like a long time, like the the Yotes here did for several games. You just think that that, that baseball would, you know, would they're they're they're. So they're, they're, it's a money-making business. They're going to want to make money that they're just going to do whatever it takes to to do this, to, to go through it. I, I just, I mean, I have, we have no idea what the world's going to look like in three months, but I, I do wonder how baseball could get through something like this just based on the travel and the fact that they play almost every day. I mean, they play 162 games in 180 days. Yeah, it complicates it complicates the isolation piece of it. And yeah, like, we might feel foolish again. The, the the rate at which this variant is just ripping through the whole population is maybe just such that three months from now it will have petered out. I don't know, but again, the rate of spread is going to be more variable here because of the variability in population density from cities to our more rural communities. It's going to be weird. I don't know, right. um, but I do think that having like contingency plans in place. Uh, what were the ways that the virus was impactful the last two seasons? Uh, And then 
And again, a much lower vaccination rate than basketball and hockey and football. I don't know what I have no idea what hockey's vaccination. Rate I don't know is, what but, hockey's is like. But, but basketball, more Canadian and, teams, so I assume the rates higher. But basketball and football are like well over are in the nineties, and baseball had trouble getting to seventy five. Yeah, um, I don't know. It just again it, with this it, variant that doesn't seem to to be a driving variable. Right. It's just it's worrying, you know, especially as I you know just before you start. They'll just say it, that the numbers don't have not, to be tested. Probably. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Or something I don't know. like that. Yeah, it's an, it's insane. Um, let's talk media for a bit. Um, let's go in in, in uh, time order here, if you will, uh, which is uh, earlier this week. Uh, Ken Rosenthal tweeted that he was not being brought back by MLB Network. Um, and then I was like, oh, well, I you know, I, I okay, those things happen. And then it turns out that he was kind of. This happened for a reason, if you will. Um, I think it was the I think it was Andrew Marchand who covers sports media reported that Ken actually was suspended at one point last year for being critical of Rob Manfred and Major League Baseball, and it sounds like those kind of criticisms are what led to Major League Baseball not being interested in bringing the biggest name in baseball media back to their network. Um, full disclosure: I know Ken, consider Ken a friend. I think Ken's a really, really good dude. Um, but this, like, in the midst of everything going on, like, there's no good news for baseball. All baseball is sending out right now is bad vibes because of what's going on. Um, to just load onto this seemed a little short-sighted, if you will. Yeah. Um, if you're picking people to ostracize, I don't know if you want to pick one of the two guys that full stop everybody in the entire industry has nothing but respect for, <laughs> right? you know, like even the people and there are people who we talk to in baseball who I'm sure, you know, at least it's true of me. I'm assuming it's true of you who often lament how like full of shit they think people in sports media are that like you can basically fake it till you make it and then just keep faking it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that some of these people ascend to like positions of power within our industry and are like thought of highly by the general population. Uh, but like Ken Rosenthal is not that guy. <laughs> right. Uh, Ken Rosenthal like really carries the load in a really meaningful and important way as, as you know, when it comes to, to pointing at people and saying like, no, this is important. People are doing good, uh, neutral, like well reported work. Uh, and so to like point at someone and be like, get rid of that guy is is nuts, and it is, um, you know, it's it's it just seems, seems like an emotional decision by somebody somewhere. Yeah, and it's just like it's it's um, a guy who uh, I can't remember his name, David Aldridge, who does NBA stuff. Uh huh. Tweeted like, you know, I was at you know TNT and and the NBA Network for fourteen years, and I was often critical of David Stern and whoever the the commissioner is now, and um. And they never took me off the air. I got yelled at a couple of times. They would call me directly and, and argue with me, but there's never any threat of my job. Um, it just seems like he's getting punished for not towing the company line, if you will. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think that any of these media outlets are only as good as the people who occupy the jobs at them. But a lot and, of them are really good. But if they're just towing the company line, then what what are you getting out of it? And like I think like I like MLB Network. I think there's a lot of good stuff from MLB Network. I've been I you know every once in a while I watch it now and just to see you know Willie McGee face Fernando Valenzuela on whatever classic game they're playing. 
but I'm not going to, you know, I wouldn't do this in the first place, even while Ken was still there. I'm not going to go to them for news on the labor negotiation because you're not going to get, you know, a two, you're not going to get a, a both sided conversation. Right. That's true. But you don't have like MLB is aware that the, most people don't have that level of media literacy, clearly. <laughs> right. <laughs> So they're just going to leverage that. And so it doesn't – I don't think it matters. There's someone making a pragmatic decision somewhere. I don't know if like Rob Manfred sits on some you know throne and is like, boo-hoo, he said a bad thing about me. Get him off the air. It's possible. You know, People in the past have ascended to right. positions it, in it, our world and just done stuff like that. Is it so, that or is it just like a culture has been created where like, hey, don't say shit about Major League Baseball? I don't know. but I don't, Neither's good. I don't have an opinion about MLB Network. I don't have MLB Network. I don't have like cable or anything like that. So I just watch sports and movies and stuff on the streaming services. So I don't have MLB Network. I was on there one time uh, and that was it. So I don't really know, but I would just assume it's state media the same way I assume that NBA TV and the NFL Network, like of course they're going to cover things in, in a certain way right right that's just what i've grown to assume about all of any of this stuff (laughs) um the other media news that broke today um a couple hours ago was that the athletic home of plenty of co-hosts and guests of the podcast that you're listening to right now uh was purchased by the new york times for i think 550 million dollars um thoughts I don't know, like... Good answer. Like, that, that, let, me, let me do this first. Like, so, it was just kind of amazing to, like, wake up and get going. And I'm doing what you're doing. So, I had to write some, some you know, Detroit Tigers blurbs up for, for tomorrow. And uh, and it just seemed like Twitter was filled with people going on long, long, multi-tweet threads about this. And I, I tweeted as an asshole. I just, like, like, the number of people who are suddenly experts here on what a half billion dollar media acquisition means for people, large corporations and sports journalism is just astonishing. Like I have, I don't, I would, I mean, you know, I, I actually, you know, sent a text to a buddy of, of mine who's works at the athletic and I just wrote congrats with a question mark. And he said, I think so. You know, he's like, I have no idea what this means. I'm like, I'm not going to pretend like I know what this means. And I don't, nobody really knows what it means. I, I'm sure there are like 10 people who really understand what this means. I just kind of hope my friends still have good jobs. That's all I can say. You know, I just hope my friends have good jobs. I don't know what this means in the world. Right. And I, that's where I fall to. Everything I just said about these media institutions are only as, as good as you know the next day's starting pitcher. They're only as good as whoever's <laughs> helming them. <laughs> and that just applies to the New York Times too. Um, but yeah, like when it became very important, if we were to sit here and think through the things, the sequence of events that unfolds if this is – bad then it's bad for everybody it's just bad for sports media when the athletic became the thing that was like all of our eggs as an industry were or many of them were like put in this basket it became very important for the athletic to to do well uh, but the athletic like, i mean but you had to also have, to have like your eyes wide open and realize that now i'm gonna act like i'm an expert here um that the athletic was was started by a group of people whose entire life consists of starting things and selling them. Right. Yeah. That's, that's what they do. That's their job. They start companies up and then they sell them. And that's how they, that's their money making strategy. It works, but like, that's what they do. And so like the second it was made, it was like, they're going to sell it. But they like do they, it. They do it in a way that doesn't 
consider the consequences of failure. Like the consequences of failure are that everyone at the athletic loses their job. And again, this doesn't seem like it's going to happen, right? Like this seems like it's going pretty well. I hope so. Everyone listening to this probably cares about the athletic reason. Like I have a sub, but like if it doesn't do well, then all these people suddenly are at this thing that doesn't exist anymore. They don't have a job. Only so many of them can have a successful sub stack or like individual, like they are basically deplatformed and left off on their own. And some of them will, you know, thrive from that, but many of them will not. Like it is a thing, it is a thing that has to succeed basically. Uh, like there, no one's going to go, there's not like a good newspaper to grovel back to. And, right. you know, people have to X out of 45 ads before they see your article. Like, no thanks. So um, there's fan graphs. Uh, but, um, but yeah, like, I don't really know. I hope things work out. Uh, and yeah, this seemed likely, you know, the athletic has shortcomings in terms of its size, even, uh, you know, there's not a Arizona Cardinals or Phoenix uh, Suns beat writer, even though they're awesome. That's like a weird thing. Um, and was but, evidence that, yeah, they were trying to be sold. See, that's weird. Like, I don't, obviously, you know, you, I don't, I just do baseball. Does every baseball team have a beat writer at the athletic? I don't, I, I, I think, I, I can't be a hundred percent sure, but I think, I think so. so. But you're saying like there are, well, where you live, there are major NBA and NFL teams who do not. Right. Yeah, the Cardinals were just the best team in football by their record at one point this year, and the Suns were in the finals last year and have two face of the NBA type players. Um, and there's and no one didn't have a beat writer. Wow. Yeah. And so it's like, hey, right, just, why? Yeah, I mean that's that's my only fear. Like when when a big company buys a smaller company, my only fear is that the people on the smaller company get to keep their jobs, and there's not some sort of um, consolidation, if you will. Sure, of course, that's a natural fear to have. Yeah. As some, you know, somebody who's been through that and, and on both ends, it's, it's not a good thing. Um, let's talk about prospects, Eric. Okay. It's what we got. Prospect season continues to roll at Fangraphs.com. There are prospect lists at Fangraphs.com, and we're going to talk about three of them. We will start with the Toronto Blue Jays, because I get to say that my pick-to-click for 2021, Gabriel Moreno, is now their number one prospect. Um. Number one with the bullet as well. He's the only, you got a 60 FV. He's the only player with a 60 FV. Um, hear from a lot of people on Twitter and in chats saying, like, how do we end up, how does he play this year? Like, we have so many catchers. And it's like, let the best one play. Um, if he's the best one, let him play. But, like, he's still, they can be patient with him if they want to, but do they? I don't think they have to. How do you think they're going to play 2022 with Gabriel Moreno. I think that like they're what they need is more roster flexibility. Like there's plenty of at bats to go around for some of these guys. Uh, I don't know if Kirk Jansen and Moreno are all going to play, but I, I, I think that having three catchers on the roster where one of them DH is pretty consistently and Kirk. Right, yeah, probably Kirk. Like, that makes sense and seems viable generally. But specifically with the Blue Jays, like, having Teoscar Hernandez and having Kevin mm. Biggio, like, they're, it makes it hard to do that because there are just other dudes around who you probably don't want on the field all the time. So, um, 
I, I think that, you know, at some point they will make another trade for pitching. Um, it just seems likely that everyone is going to need pitching depth. It's just something that everyone needs all the time. Um, there is there is attrition to deal with. This org specifically, I think, has built to a point where they have the depth on the roster right now, in addition to the guys who are just projected to be in their starting rotation next year. Having Tom Hatch and Bowden Francis and Zach Logue and Anthony Kay uh, and like a bunch of up-down relief type guys just around, like viable, could do worse than this in the event of injury type guys at AAA, like they're ready to do that, but there will still be opportunities to upgrade. Um, and I think teams are really interested in all of their catchers. I mean, they, they had more of them. They traded Riley Adams, right? Right, like, right, right. Uh, Reese McGuire's gone too, isn't he? Um, mm-hmm. So, like, at one point they had five viable 40-man catchers, uh, and now they merely have three, all of which have been on our top 100 at, at various points. Um, I think Danny Jansen was at 50 there towards the end based on how he performed at the upper levels too. So, um, so I, you know, of those three guys, I do think Moreno is the most talented one. They should just roll with that. Um, yeah, I don't I mean, know he, if either of the other ones make sense to, to move when things – become active again. Yeah. I mean, he first caught my eye uh, during his, his full season debut in the Midwest league. He was just, there's a lot of contact there. Just the kid, the, you know, it was like, it was a real catcher and, and there was a lot of contact. Um, you know, you and I saw him together in the Arizona fall league this year. And it was, it was impressive. Like, you know, he, it was, you know, someone attacked him with fastballs outside. He just kind of sprayed him the other way. Uh, they worked inside. He turned on stuff like this guy can just hit, um, but you, you you talked about it in the write up, and I, I think it's a fair and, and accurate thing. Like the, the 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 crazy power output we saw earlier in the year um, is probably not real. He's not a big power dude. He's a hitter with he's he's not weak by any stretch. But this is not like a thirty home run guy. This is a guy who's going to hit, um, and he's got kind of dangerous sneaky pop. And he will get himself out, or he will play himself into suboptimal contact. Is probably more. Yeah, accurate. he's yeah. It's, he's it's, an aggressive, swinging, like free swinging type guy who. And you see this a lot, like these guys who can make so much contact. Um, like the ultimate example, of this might be Madrigal. Like these guys can make so much contact that they it turns into bad swing decisions where they're swinging a ball because they think they can hit it and they can because they're so good at hitting. But it's not it's not the ideal swing pitch to swing at. For me, that's Vitters. Vitters is the yeah, classic. Per, yeah, exactly. Example. Um, and but the thing is like. Gabriel Moreno is not an incredible defensive catcher or anything like that. He's just, but he's a legit catcher. He's a real but catcher. But he can catch, yeah. And so yeah. there's much more room for, uh, like, the bottom end of outcomes related to this, like, little, you know, yellow flag in the profile. If it turns out Gabriel Moreno is too aggressive for his own good, he's probably still a damn good everyday catcher. And then uh, number two on the Blue Jays prospect list, the guy who also generated a lot of attention in 2021, um, and that's Elvis Martinez. Um, this dude had a really, really good uh, season, um, gained a lot of attention. There's some, you know, there's this is a guy with with, with real power, um, but there's 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 some questions about kind of the overall game. Like the the, the, the power is the calling card, um, but like. You know, where's this guy going to play defensively? I think is a very fair question, and just how much he's going to hit is a very fair question. Yeah, uh, just heuristically, as we're 
breaking guys down. Uh, you know, we're still at a stage where we are going org by org rather than yeah. looking at like the top 125 guys and like shuttling that list around. But Elvis Martinez is just a classic back of the 55 future value tier. Gigantic bat speed and power potential has really performed uh, for a hitter his age. Um, and then, yeah, like you said, like people think he's probably going to move to third base. And then how – then we start talking about like, you know, the bust potential window kind of starts to open up where you talk about a guy who is sacrificing contact for power and then is going to play a corner infield spot. Like mm-hmm. that can be tenuous. So um, that type of player, Ronnie Mauricio, Jazz Chisholm, uh, you know, Drew Waters at peak uh, before we just became skeptical enough to move off of him basically. Anyone who <laughs> sort of fits into this bucket of, boy, oh, boy, this is a talented young hitter uh, who you could see having like 35 home runs uh, is also kind of scary. Right. Um, you know, Javi Baez is the version of this where it's like, okay, well, he's a hell of a defensive shortstop too. And so every year he's just a four-win guy basically. Like, you know, that's what the, the margin for error is for uh, a player like that. And Orevos Martinez, we're talking about a guy who maybe, you know, needs some some room for that error accounted for, but he's playing third base. Uh, right. So it is, you know, but he's he's very exciting. Right. But and if, you know, but like you said, if you're third base and the bat doesn't come – and so, like, your risk is all of a sudden you have Michael Franco on your hands. Yeah, that's a great example of, you know, someone who, yes, absolutely, like, it was below plate discipline, and ultimately that was the most meaningful thing. Uh, there were other things about Franco and, like, the way he developed physically into his mid-20s, uh, you know, precipitated him down the defensive spectrum pretty pretty harshly, like, to the point where it was an arm-reliant third baseman. Franco mm-hmm. was, like, a 70-arm, like you know, making plays, the types of plays that most good third basemen round on the ball and they're like fielding in front of them. He's backhanding, but he has the arm strength to make up for that. Um, and then it just became untenable for him. Yeah, I watched that happen in <laughs> first person. Uh, yeah, gosh, what a weird Yoel Macias and the other Phillies prospects of that day. Yeah. Right? All now flashing in front of me now. Um, um, but yeah, this guy's in that, in that bucket. Yeah, number three, we have um, their first round pick, uh, Gunnar Hogland, who um, you know had a TJ, um, needed one right before the draft. Um, nonetheless, still went in the first round, and just a nice you know if he comes back, like a nice combination of stuff and potentially plus plus command. Like we, it was we never shared. It was like an internal meme was like a a, a plot chart of of Mr. Hogland's slider locations that we just looked at and laughed a lot because um, it was flawless. <laughs> And, you know, this yeah. is a guy who, um, it's really good stuff. He comes back from the TJ, you know, he, you know, he's the potential to be a number one prospect for the Blue Jays. We just kind of have to see what it looks like when he comes back. And, um, you know, he's, if anything, he'll pitch maybe at the end of this year, I guess would be right. He'll be at 12 months, like in May, right? Yeah. So I would guess that he rehabs throughout extended and then probably, you know, starts throwing uh, in games on rehab assignment at the complex level Mm -hmm. early in this complex schedule. And then, you know, towards the end of the year, based on the innings increase or just like keeping the foundation of his workload, basically like he's a 2022 folly candidate based on how advanced and how they might build innings. Um, And then maybe, you know, if everything goes well, then a 2023 
potential big league debut guy just because the command is so switched on. This tier of player in the list is really where things became interesting. Um, We knew, uh, Golaski and I both, that like as we started to work on this, that Moreno was going to be number one, and then we just had to decide if we wanted to 55 or 60 him basically. And then Orelvis was going to be number two, and we just had to decide if we 50 or 55'd him. And then after that is where things started to, you know, we started to shift things compared to what the chalk rankings were uh, coming off the end of the season. And, and so that was Hoagland basically staying with the same grade, but moving up within the system because Jordan Groshans uh, kind of fell in our estimation based on the way his profile has shifted since high school. Um, and then not long, you know, like I think a day or two before the list published, I messaged you and was just like, hey, this is what Brendan and I are talking about doing. Um, going like Hoagland, Leo Jimenez, and Groshans, just based on how Groshans' profile has shifted away from this traditional power hitting third base prospect to a guy who's like reliant on controlling the strike zone and his swing is kind of funky in a way that doesn't really max out his power. Um, and like, is this is this a slam dunk everyday player anymore or just like a role-playing type guy? Uh, and we decided that it was the latter. Right. Uh, and, and that if we thought Leo Jimenez was going to be that as well, then we'd rather have Jimenez who can like play a viable shortstop and has sort of freaky bat-to-ball plate discipline stuff happening. Like We would just rather take a shot on that guy becoming David Fletcher or whatever and being a legit everyday player than someone like... Groshans, who is more like, you know, max exit velo in the air was like south of 103. Right. Which was really surprising. Like it caught us off guard and really forced us to reevaluate him. And we sort of decided that this is like a player who we think is more like late career Evan Longoria. Um, you know, like the last five years of Longoria basically is, is what on right. paper we'd expect out of Groshans, which is more like a 45 than someone right. who we want to dunk as a 50. And I, and I think Jimenez is a guy that, like a lot of people probably don't know. Um, you know, he's very young. He's 20 years old. Um, you know, he only played 50-something games last year. Uh, but And then this, Fall League. Yeah, but this guy, like, doesn't strike out um, and also walks a ton, um, which is a nice combination. Like you said, there's a, you know, I, it's not a special defender, but it's a shortstop. Um, and all of a sudden, that's a pretty interesting player. He just really gets on top of fastballs right. in a I mean, special like, way. You brought up Fletcher. Like, if David Fletcher could play a real shortstop, he'd be a monster. He's already, like, David Fletcher just looking He's a really at good player. His trajectory. Yeah, like, he should have just been somewhere towards the back of the 100, probably. Like, he's just an everyday middle infielder. Um, and, yeah, like, the, there's just a chance that Jimenez is that guy. There's still so little power. Uh, and it's not like this is a guy sporting the lowest swinging strike rate in the minor leagues or anything like that. Jimenez, like Madrigal or Fletcher was. Uh, Luis Arias is another pretty good example yep, of like, yep. he, and he's a bottom of the barrel defender, um, like a borderline DH type guy. But when you put the ball in play at that rate and you can play the middle infield, like chances are you're going to be a damn good player. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we just decided that we'd, you know, and, and he's also two years, well, it's more like a year and a half younger than Groshans and is already on the 40 man. Like the Blue Jays were just like, we got to put this 20 year old who only has a ball experience on our 40 man right now. Um, and that was pretty instructive. I thought as well. Mm-hmm. Um, as, as far as the guys who, um, 
like, like who's your sleeper here? A guy you have a forty or lower FB on? I think that like Chad Dallas has some tip of the iceberg stuff going on. Chad Dallas was their fourth rounder out of Tennessee. I think it was the fourth round. Mm-hmm. He was a you know he only pitched two seasons. He was like a JUCO guy and then had four starts in 2020 before the shutdown. He's like a squat bodied five foot ten, you know, no projection, doesn't really throw all that hard, but the fact that he's small creates an upshot sort of angle on his fastball, and his breaking balls are both really good. Um, so I think his fastball's got sneaky utility, and both breaking balls are good. Um, there's a chance he ends up with like a seven slider eventually. Again, like tip of the iceberg type guy here who only had a year-ish at a big college program. And even though he's kind of like (laughs) chode-like in build, he's so flexible. Like this guy's arm action, when you see his like arm swing back, the level of like flexibility in his shoulder is, it looks like Jonathan Loisega's delivery. Now, Jonathan Loisega is not the picture of health, okay? (laughs) But it's just like, wow, this guy's got like a special... Uh, capacity of movement is a phrase that's more present in my head lately. Um, and Chad Dallas has that. So he's he's down there. But I think the other thing to point to in the 40s is like Zach Logue and Bowden Francis are instances of where the evaluation that everybody has on them is the same. Right. But the valuation of that guy is highly variable still, especially I think among some of the public facing stuff. Like they're just plug and play fifth starters, but damn it. If you're going to compete for a playoff spot, you just need so many of those guys. You just need to be able to withstand all the injuries that your pitching staff is going to sustain over the course of the season. And so having, I would just at this point in my thought process on this stuff, would just rather have Zach Logue than someone like Miguel Geraldo, who is, you know, Bonus baby, sexy twenty-year-old, who's still really far away. Uh, you know, like I'd just rather have the guy who's ready to be a big league starter now. I'm going to go with Irv Carter, um, who was their fifth round pick in 2021, who got like second round money to not go to Miami. Um, the kid from from Calvary Christian. He was not. He was the number two starter this spring at Calvary Christian. Um, was Fuller produced. <laughs> A uh, first round pick, and also where um, where Eater Jake Eater went to Calvary Christian. I saw him play there, and um, physical kid, kind of new to pitching, um, newer, uh, but like you know, big physical six four, uh, low nineties. You'll get you'll see some fives and sixes here and there. Um, there's there's some ability to spin. He definitely has a real changeup, which is something you'd always see in high school. Um, it, it's a starter package. Uh, I, I think it's an upside play. It's risky. Like you're, you're, you need a lot of things to work out, but, it, but everything seems to be pointing in the right direction. Yosver uh, Zululeta is the other name to throw out there. And like in terms of dudes who might blow up you just during 2022. Yosver Zululeta, Cuban signee from late during like the 2018 international period. Um, didn't really get fired up until Instructs 2020 and was throwing like much harder than before, 94-96. Showed up 2021 spring training, sitting 97 and 99, mm-hmm. and then got hurt. Um, but it was a knee injury, I think. Um, I'm pretty sure it was his knee. 
uh, I could just pull up the report right now. I'm just standing here looking at it. But um, <laughs> anyway, you know, older Cuban guy. So no reason to slow play it. Like they should, as soon as he's healthy and ready to roll, um, obviously there's like so little track record here because of the pandemic. And then he got hurt. Like he's barely pitched, um, but could absolutely explode in 2022 and might just finish the year in the Blue Jays bullpen. Mm-hmm. Um. The other list that, that came out uh, in our time uh, before the new year was the Milwaukee Brewers list. Um, it's a weird system. It's not a great system. Um, and their number one prospect and is, is Aaron Ashby, who's a weird player to talk about just in the sense that I think we all can like Aaron Ashby's um, stuff, right? It's, it's, you know, it's 94, 96. You'll see some sevens and eights in there. It's a present very plus slider. If, if not better, it's a present plus changeup, and it's like 40 command and low pitch efficiency. And at the end of the day, you just don't know what he's he, like. It's, it's like all this. It's really good stuff. And you just don't know what it's going to be or how it's going to be utilized in the end. The last time I was on here, I asked you where you'd put Josh Hader on a prospect list if mm-hmm. you knew he was going to be Josh Hader. Right. And you were like, you know, he's got to be in the top. I forget what you said, but it was high on an overall universal list, right? Right. So even if we acknowledge that it, I was called it Andy Ashby. I do it I've all never the time. Done Don't worry that. about it. Oh, I do it all the time. Don't worry about it. Aaron Ashby. Cause, but just imagine, okay, fine. We have him evaluated, projected here as multi-inning relief pitcher. Still, he's the number one guy in the system. He's been on the top 100 for this will be his second consecutive year. You know, like this is just where I value this guy. Even if acknowledging that he's a reliever, it's just a vicious late inning, high leverage stopper. And the pitch efficiency thing, are you speaking about the strike throwing or about like the spin efficiency piece of it? No, I'm talking about the strike. I'm talking about like, if you see this guy as a starter, it's going to be often one of those games where like we go to the top of the sixth and he's at 98 pitches. Right, yes, and I think that's absolutely true. Um, but, like, the spin efficiency piece of that is – it was that's true as well. That's one of the things that has made me wonder if actually having Ashby, like, somewhere in the 100 to 120 overall range uh, is too low because he started leaning into the fact that his pitch is not, like, a four-seamer, top-of-the-zone mm-hmm. type of weapon uh, in 2021. He just started leaning into the fact that it has sink and tail. Um, and through many, many more like sinker shaped pitches than, uh, in the past. So, um, like down into his arm side, I think that right. there's, there was an adjustment there, uh, that I think might mean that this guy belongs like closer to 50th overall than to a hundred overall. Um, but either way, like whatever Milwaukee does with Josh Hader, they just have a guy who maybe is not quite as good, but is definitely fits that late inning, can get Fuck you, Rawls. Yeah. Yeah. Um, number two with a bullet, uh, and how, is is yeah, Joey Weimer, who, like, entering the year, there was talk about maybe we should, like, this guy's never going to hit. Maybe we should just put him on the bump. You know, he's, he's 6'5", 220. You have a 70 arm here. I think that's low. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and, and I just, screw it. Just put him on the bump. Um, and he just kind of exploded this year, you know, all of a sudden, um, OVP over 400 slugging over 550, 
uh, 27 home runs. He stole 30 bases. He's not going to be that kind of player in the big league. He's not going to be a 30 stolen base guy, but um, he's a big athletic guy and, and the tools actualized real quick. Um, kind of it, like it just kind of snapped his finger and everything changed with him. And, you know, it's, it's, it's huge raw power. There is some swing and miss here, right? I mean, this is not, this yes. is not a per play. This is, this is a swing and miss as well as a swing that is, um, doesn't really pass an eye test quite well. I think, so I saw Weimer the most for the first time like for a chunk during this year's minor league spring training the brewers were one of the last lists to get done uh during last cycle and so Mm -hmm. i just went in to see all their guys face the a's players uh at the a's place and this was the first time that i like stood within 10 feet of joey weimer and like watched him swing and felt in my chest him hit a baseball 10 or 15 feet away from me. Uh, His swing is, it was at that time, especially early in the year, like crazy aggressive. And it still is max effort, super duper violent. uh, Bad intentions. Yeah. Out of control. Yeah. But they, they augmented the way his hands set up, which I think has, has like, it's a relevant data point. I don't, you know, his hands set up far away from his his body now. They've changed his attack angle. Basically, his swing has more like loop to it now than it used to when he was in college. Uh, he really struggled. He didn't hit very many home runs in college. No, uh, no. Though the raw power was in there um, because his swing was like cutting down at the baseball. And so they've cut down his leg kick and then made – they're just like swing as hard as you can, but they've limited the movement basically before his – in his lower half. So um, it's like his swing is more conservative in some ways than it used to be, but it's still ultra aggressive in some of the other ways. And I think it works. Um, I think that he still has breaking ball recognition issues. That was in my notes from fall league and is in the data, like talking to an in-office analyst over the phone about Weimer specifically, like, Hey, we're going to stick this guy number two in the org and on our hundred. Uh, you know, like we did a lot of work on this guy. So, um, it, it shows in the data as well that like this guy has some breaking ball chase happening that hasn't maybe yet been exposed, but he has freak factor in a way that, uh, the other guys in the system for the most part do not have. Uh, and I think that the swing change is like, it reinforces the notion that his power output has, has actually changed in a meaningful way. Whereas, like, conversely, Garrett Mitchell, even though he was slugging 700 or whatever early in the year, his swing and his batted ball profile indicated there was actually no change. Like, don't buy this. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was pretty clear, and we didn't. Um, and well, so, like, I, you're like, still in a holding pattern with him. Yeah, let's talk about this, because, like, the, the, your, the three and four prospects on this list are, are the two guys in the 45-plus bucket. Um, they are their last two first-round picks, and Sal Freelich and Garrett Mitchell, they're both center fielders. Um, Freelix three, Mitchell's four. Um, it, it you're taking. I'm not saying like, look, South Felix has some really nice tools, but like you're taking the the player over the tools in a way here, right? Yeah. Um. Basically, like the 45, the plus tiers, which are still like impact. Hey, we think this player is really good. Tiers 
basically indicate like, hey, a 45 in center field is like Jackie Bradley Jr. Like this guy's really good at one thing and has other meaningful holes. It's still enough that he's a good everyday or like high-end role-playing big leaguer, but you don't want him, you don't want Jackie Bradley Jr. facing a lefty in the seventh inning of a game you're losing by two or whatever. Like he mm-hmm. has to come off the field. You have to pinch it for him um, and just deal with the downgrade on defense or whatever. And so like Freilich and Mitchell are both in this area where it's easy to see them becoming a 45 where they're playing a sizable big league role, but they're not like a perfect, well-rounded, true everyday player. Um, and with Freilich, it's he doesn't have power and he's not, projectable in the traditional sense because he's we and like you know maybe he's listed at 510 it wouldn't surprise me if he's only 58 yeah um, that feels that feels heavy or, or i guess that feels tall yeah so but also like he dealt with a serious injury as an amateur he had a multi-sport uh high school career he had he lost a year of reps against acc pitching to the pandemic he's like coming from a cold weather location these are all round up late bloomer traits in my opinion and that's almost entirely anecdotal but like these are all things that like hey maybe this guy's skills as a baseball player haven't yet fully developed and so the feel for contact that he has and his defensive ability in center field and all that stuff like has yet to totally switch on mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and if some of that stuff becomes special over time then yeah he's just he is just an everyday center fielder if he, be, if he becomes a seven bat or like a seven glove or something like that. And that seems in play for him. Uh, then the flip side of the coin with Freilich is, find me an everyday center fielder who doesn't hit 25 home runs. Right? <laughs> it's changed, like, hasn't it? So that was the argument that people who were, you know, not Freilich proponents pre-draft were putting to me uh, on the phone, basically. Like, you know, look around. Is there really an everyday center fielder who doesn't have power and the answer is no so you're really betting on him becoming like a seven bat or something like that if you think he's going to be an everyday guy um the the two names after that i just want to go through real quick i think they're both interesting in the sense that it's it's um the shortstop bryce terang a plus defensive shortstop with questionable offensive upside um ethan small a guy who has interesting pitch data. He's not going to blow you up if you just buy an own plate, but he's interesting pitch data. And both these guys feel like almost slam dunk big leaguers with very little chance to be impact guys or even stars. Yep. That's, you know, Small has an amazing changeup. He doesn't have a good breaking ball. I don't think he's going to find a good breaking ball. Um, I don't know. I don't think he actually had a strike-throwing regression in 2021, even though it shows on paper that he did, I think that this guy was trying to nibble, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, he's got to live at the top border of the strike zone with that fastball. Um, and that's, like, not an efficient way of, of working in general. So, you know, I just think that he's a low-variance 4-5 starter, which is still quite good. A um, lot of you – know, the, the list goes from there. It turns into um... – a lot of young Latin players. They've done a really, really interesting job there um, and, and gotten a lot of players. Um, I guess we should talk about this a little bit in the sense that um, on a front office level, 
they made interesting hire about four, five years ago now. Um, and when they made Mike Grootman their international director, um, Grootman was seen as more of an analyst type um, because he was more of an analyst type when they hired him away. And, and he was suddenly put in front of international. Um, and, and you can't argue with the results. Like they did a really good job. And, and there's a lot of players, a lot of, you know, teenagers, 20 and younger Latin players, um, you know, in the top 20 in the system. Um, Mike Grootman recently left the Brewers to, uh, to, for an AGM gig with the Red Sox. But, um, they've done a good job down there all of a sudden. There, there's some really interesting names here. Yeah, it is really the saving grace of this system that it is so flush with these interesting young Latin American guys, mostly Venezuelan guys. Um, and I think that's an interesting feature here too at a time mm-hmm. when, you know, I know some international scouts who just won't go to Venezuela anymore. I know oh, there's teams that can't. Gun uh, you know, held to his head. Yep. Like crazy stuff that yeah, I mean, they literally, won't go back like literally the Astros, even if I, I would not have gone, I just didn't think it was safe. But if I wanted to go, I would not be allowed because the Astros travel insurance wouldn't cover Venezuela. But to be fair, we've reached a point where like most Venezuelan players are being seen um, or cross-checked at least in Colombia. Um, there's no doubt that there is bias on look that probably just applies to all of the orgs based in Arizona when we're doing our lists. Like it is just easier for me to unearth guys on the backfield who I like um, than to try to do so via their on-paper performance as like a means of flagging, a reason to ask people about them, find video, this and that. Florida's harder to get video stuff on anyway because we don't have anybody who lives there. So, um, <laughs> but uh, yet. But uh, but yeah, like this is a group of player in the system I think is ultimately what makes the system on balance, like somewhere in the middle third of the systems overall. Uh, I don't, you know, we have our farm rankings at the site that are derived uh, from the player's future value grades, et cetera, et cetera. They're not like biblical or anything like that. They're not. Right. Oh, I don't want to, you know, have any sort of pretense about the precision of them. Like it is a general thing. Um, And I, I like the core of young up the middle players and Latin American talent that the, that this system has, it is shallow on pitching Uh, that like they might have to get creative in terms of the way they bolster their big league group from injury. Um, And I thought there were some surprising, like Max Laser. I was kind of surprised didn't get 40 man, even though he's rehabbing from TJ. I guess we don't really know how well that's doing. Um, I guess if there's one other thing to key in on this system, it's that Hedbert Perez at 13, um, you know, Hedbert, do you get chat questions? I I like him more than you do. Okay, that's fine. I'm just apprehensive about, you know, I know he's 18 and a half. I know what the surface level stats look like. Uh, he does have real pull power. It is not, you know, like we were talking about with Gabriel Moreno earlier where it was just, you know, a Babbitt-driven uh, fake thing, like caricature basically. Um, but for Hedbert to be built like he is at 18, which is like very – he's maxed out already. Mm-hmm. Uh, folks can go to the YouTube channel. There's video of Hedbert on there. And for him to basically be a left field only with three or four plate discipline is just scary. Um, so I think that the athletic longevity piece here is tenuous. And, you know, a 
valueless defensive profile with a three, you know, approach is that's thin ice to me. So I'd rather have all these up the middle guys. Um, I think the statement is like putting Abner Uribe in front of him where it's like, I just think that the risk that both of these guys bust is roughly equal. Abner Uribe has elite stuff and like 20 grade command. Right. Um, and Hedbert Perez has plus power, but I think that's it. No more coming. I know he's 18, but there's just no room on the body for that. And so there has to be a better, you know, there has to be better plate discipline here, I think. If we were to go look, I didn't do this as we were digging in on Hedbert as like where we want to grade him, but his, you know, how many left field only type guys in the big leagues walk at like less than a 7% rate? Right. You know, Michael Brantley, Adam Duvall, Teoscar Hernandez, Lourdes Gurriel, Austin Hayes. That's it. That's your list. So obviously some of those guys are good. Um, that's part of the reason they're qualified big leaguers at all. But, you know, it's that's that's the bucket you're looking at there. Is he's got to be that talented to be mm-hmm. an everyday big league left fielder. Um, I do want to talk about the fall from grace here, which is Mario Feliciano, um, who looked like um, a potential elite offensive catcher, but it was an offense first catcher all always. Never really great defender, but he looked like he was really going to hit. Um, had a disastrous year, but it was kind of weird in that not only was his year a disaster in terms of his statistical performance, but also in terms of underlying data, also in terms of scouts who saw him. Like, there was no saving grace here. There was no, well, this happened or that happened. It was just like, like, what the hell happened here? I don't know. Um, I just think that, like, what you said is true. This Here's another guy where the approach was just always so bad. Mm-hmm. Um, they caught up to him. Francisco Mejia was instructive because it was, sim- it was a similar trajectory and even more performance. Like Mejia, remember, had like, what was it, like a 56-game hit streak or something like that? Yeah. Like Francisco Mejia was healthy and performing, but still the underlying questions were, can this guy catch? And his play discipline is terrible. So if he can't catch, then what is he? Uh, and they, he just never developed back there, basically. And Mejia has more on-roster utility because he's a switch hitter and has you know, experience playing third base and some of this other stuff. Like There might be a path for him to, be, to play a meaningful big league role that there isn't for Feliciano. And I know that scouting catchers in the fall league is kind of dumb because often they're coming off of long seasons. Yeah, they're beat up, yeah. They're beat up. They're facing – or they're, they're – rather, they're, they're having to catch an entirely new staff worth mm. of guys. It's, it's not easy. Uh, but Feliciano, at least on the – he definitely did not have the, hey, I'm ground down from playing a whole season's excuse because, like, he doesn't ever do that. <laughs> you know, he's this guy's – only played like a full slate of games a couple of times. Um, and yeah, just looked really bad defensively during the fall. And so, yeah, I'm just at a point with him where I'm like, look, he can't catch at all. It would be bad if they had to put him back there. The org signing Brett Sullivan is kind of telling you something, I think, uh, about what they think about Mario Feliciano as well. Mm-hmm. And if this guy can't catch, then what are we looking at? And I've been tempted, you know, go look at the past 
couple brewers lists. Like this guy was stuffed because I was just like, man, you know, if it ever comes together, yeah, this guy looks. Yeah, really he good. isn't elite offensive perform. Like his bat speed is still great, and you know, you watch this guy swing, and you're like, wow, this is a really talented guy. Um, but yeah, I just think it's. The time has come. I'm just, you know, more likely to pull the ripcord on these guys now than I than I used to be, um, and I've just pulled it on Feliciano. So who's your sleeper? Guy with a forty or lower. Oh, well, let me go back to the list here. You know, Hendry Mendez. Oh, you, you stole mine. <laughs> go ahead, take Hendry while I pick somebody. Who you got on? What do you got on Hendry? He's got freaky feel for contact. Yeah, he's another one where his swing isn't really usable at all. So. Uh, could absolutely explode with a spring with a swing change. There is a reason that he and Carlos Rodriguez are stacked back to back. It's because when Carlos Rodriguez was 18, he was Henry Mendez. He was wow, look at this guy's feel for contact. Mm-hmm. Isn't that good? Boy, is he fast. Uh, but there's zero power here because in Rodriguez's case, he had zero physicality and his swing. Uh, was not playable in a way that created any kind of power. It was just slash and dash. And Mendez, at least, he's 6'2", 175 at age 18. You could hope that he is going to develop like physicality in a meaningful way. But the swing is still not in a place where... I don't have enough Henry Mendez footage to like publish a video for people to see. I only have like like four swings on tape. Uh, It's not worth publishing yet, but... Take my word for it. Look at his ground ball rate. Like it's a downward cutting, slicing, you know, poke here and there type of swing. And his feel for contact is freaky though. And it's just the thing I care about the most is can you put the, the bat on the baseball? And he can. So, you know, obviously Joey Weimer is, is a case in this org where they made a relevant swing change. Mm-hmm. Um, and Garrett Mitchell to this point is not there yet, but it was hard to tell Garrett Mitchell who was slugging 700. Like, Hey, you had to change your swing. Right. Um, so Mendez is the one where if there's a chance for someone to explode, I think it's him. Um, I, boy, I can't, I can't do Antoine Kelly. I guess I'll go super, super deep and take someone who doesn't make contact in Ernesto Martinez, a, a 22 year old Cuban signee who has, um, as much raw power as anyone in that system, including Joey Weimer. Um, t- absolute top of the line exit velocities when he gets to it. And let's hope he can make the same adjustments Joey made because <laughs> if he does, he's going to be a monster. Uh, but currently strikes out way too much, but the power's fantastic. Everyone it's go insane to exit velocities. Go to YouTube and search his name. It's yes. Er- it Ernesto crazy. Martinez. There's a great BP video. Yeah. I mean, find the beep, the video from uh, his own account for sure. From five years ago, it's got like one point. 3,000 views or something like that. Um, but again, this is... Watch this Go ahead, guy well, swing. Do, do, you, do your impression of his father as he walks bueno, into the bueno, bueno. <laughs> Ooh la la. His father's in the background just getting so excited. Yeah, yeah, Ooh la la is, is the best part. His dad just goes, Ooh la la at one point. It's fantastic. <laughs> Let's move on to the Tigers, shall we? Oh, I, I, yeah, I assume you can't hear it. I started playing it. But just, again, uh, capacity yeah. for movement guy, Ernesto Martinez. Just look yeah. at the flexibility. It is crazy. Uh, the Tigers list starts with uh, Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green. Both these are excellent prospects. Both earned 60-grade FVs. Um, I was talking to someone about who should rank one and who should rank two. And I, their answer really stuck with me. It was like, it doesn't matter. They're both great. And I kind of agree with that. It doesn't matter. They're both great. Um, we have Torkelson one. Um, I, I might just, change by the end of the day. 
don't commit to that yet. This, this, right, we're talking on Thursday. This list is going up on Friday, so maybe uh, maybe Green will be number one. Who knows what you're looking at right now? Um, Torkelson is a uh, bat-only guy for the most part, but the bat I think is as potentially good as anyone in base in minor league baseball. Is that is that a fair statement? Is that insane? I think it's fair. I don't. I don't know if it's a slam, such a slam dunk that I would, you know, declare it off the top of my head or anything like that. But it, he comes close, um, and certainly among the first base only prospects who have come across my bow during the half decade I've been doing this as my full time job. It, like, yeah, this is the hit power approach combination here is really really great. Better yeah. than Pete Alonso, Reese Hoskins. There's more power than Andrew Vaughn. Um, this guy's awesome. <laughs> this guy's awesome. It's, it's really awesome. good. Right. Great approach. I think he does get passive at times and waits for the perfect pitch when he should swing at some other pitches that he could still damage. Um, but I think, you know, if he can close some, some holes at the bottom part of his zone, um, it's a potential plus bat. It is crazy power. Um, I know that he dabbled in third base a little bit. It's a first baseman. And, but like, this is the kind of guy who might hit third on a championship level team mm-hmm. yeah um i could see why the tigers announced him as a third baseman and why it was worth trying there was a weird domino effect at asu during torque's time here where drew swift and alika williams who are both great defensive middle infielders mm-hmm. pushed gage workman who can really pick it to third base and then Workman pushed Torkelson to first base. But, like, Torkelson, when he was on the area code team in high school, like, they kind of hit him in the outfield and stuff. Like, this isn't the first time that Spencer Torkelson has not been the, the best defensive third baseman on his team, you know? Right, so, right. How, not, the way his stiffness in the lower half is where I'm just like, nope, this is a first base DH. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and like, to speak to, like, just how good he is, like, this is a guy who, you know, first round, first overall pick in 2020, makes his professional debut in 2021 reaches triple a is on the verge of the big leagues had a 383 on base a 552 slugging percentage people said yeah he wasn't as good as i thought he was going to be it's because of how he started the year yeah if i go to his game log right now there was a, a start to his season where he was he came out of the gates slow real slow you know but like who cares? Right. He's the guy with a career OPS in college of 1,200 almost. He broke um, he broke Barry Bonds' freshman home run record at ASU. And they determined, like, oh, our fences at Phoenix Muni are actually, like, unreasonably far away. Like, they moved the fences <laughs> in. Because ASU playing at Phoenix Muni was relatively new. And so they were like, oh, let's, you know, after some time we've studied this and actually like we're going to move our fences in. That was after he broke Bond's freshman home run record. Right. Last time not I was a at normal ASU. guy. Right. Last time I was at ASU was to see Hunter Bishop actually. And Hunter Bishop hit a ball like 117. It went, I don't know, 720 feet, something like that. Um, it was unbelievable. And it was the second hardest hit ball of the, of the night because a sophomore named Spencer Torkelson hit a ball harder. Yep. I was there. He's um, phenomenal. Torque hit 235 in May, but still had a 380 OBP. So, yeah, it's he's fine. Really, really good. And Riley Green's a guy who, who uh, you know, I think it might just be just like the stock just kind of keeps going up. Yeah, when you frame 
green as like, hey, this guy played 24 games at low A in 2019, then saw whatever, the same handful of pitchers over and over again at the alt site in 2020, skipped high A, went right to double A at age 20, and then proceeded to hit like 300, 340, 500 or something like that between double and triple A before his 21st birthday. Yeah, you're, you're low actually. Right, like hit 301, 387, 534 last year. That's crazy. As a 20-year-old getting a triple A. And so he cannot play center field. No, um, but, but lefty bat. This morning bat. before we hopped on, I just watched every ball and play hit to Riley Green at AAA this year. He's not a center fielder, but it's a left, but it's left hand stick. Do you have concerns about the, the swing and miss in the game? Because it's there. It is definitely there. I was surprised when on Synergy I pulled up his swing and miss locations. How many of them are like in zone breaking balls? They're still... They're not like middle of the zone breaking balls. They are they are fairly well located back foot and like, you know, sweeping away from him breaking balls, but a bunch of them are still in the zone. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he's a little bit vulnerable to like fastballs up and away from him. Uh, but I don't know, like the when you look at the, the balls in place, scatter plot basically, like he still covers so much more of the zone than is typical of a good hitter. Yeah. Let alone a 20 year old who's facing triple a pitching. So um, I think that like, I don't know if I'm going to sit here and say that this guy's like a four bat or anything like that. Like, but if we had to present hit future hit present game power, future game power, like what are we looking at here? I, I, you know, I think you want, you might, I don't think you'd be a fool to do the rare 6-6 six, six here. Coming into the year, we had 6-55. Yeah. I just think it's 6-6. Six, six. Which is crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, 6-6 six, six from a left a left fielder problem. Yeah, you don't say it a lot. Yeah, he's awesome. Um, he's really, really good. Um, he's been good three, his whole life. Right. Number three, I think. It's going to be Jackson Job, uh, the number three overall pick in in last year's draft. Um, the more I look at this guy, the more I like him. Um, I guess my question is, other than the usual pitfalls, which are numerous for a 19-year-old right-hander who's yet to make a pro debut, like, what do you got to ding this guy on? Like, it's, it's mid, at times, upper 90s heat. Yeah. It's a huge slider with big spin, big move, big bite. It's a present good changeup. He's super athletic. There's command here. He knows what he's doing. Um, if he never got on the mound, he would have been a day two pick as a shortstop. Um, like other than all of the things that can go wrong between now and him getting to Detroit, like I don't have a whole lot to dig this kid on. That's fair. That's what I was going to say is you're just playing Russian roulette every year between now and when he arrives. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, and that's fair. You know, it, it, it is super risky with a, with a, a kid like this. But like as far we as could, his baseball game goes, I don't have a whole lot to complain about here. We could go back and talk about every top of the class prep arm from the last 10 years and immediately not be as enthused. <laughs> like, we could point at Tyler Kolek and you know Riley Pint and uh-huh. like 
Now, you know, some of it is revisionist to be like, well, Riley Pint never really had good command. And, you know, Tyler Kolek was built like he was. And it was always a 20 or the 20 fucking athlete. Yeah. So there are other reasons. Um, and at some point, high school pitchers become Clayton Kershaw. Max Scherzer, believe it or not, pitched in high school at one point. Right. You know, like the best pitchers on the planet at some point were just another risky prep arm. Uh, and we should, I think, do better than to just bucket them all as risky prep arms. Uh, I don't know. The I like the athletes. Just... I like betting on the athletes. Like you mentioned Tyler Kolick. When I saw Tyler Kolick pitch in high school, it was it was like everyone go, oh, Texas high school baseball, it's all great. It's not all great. There's a lot of real low-level Texas high school, and this is where Kolick played. It was like rural farm country Texas. It was not great level of baseball. It was a really bad level of baseball. And, and he started... And he hit seventh, and I said, I'm out. Like, like, this kid's hitting seventh at this level of baseball. I have real worries. And, like, and he hit a ground ball and ran to first. I said, I don't – this is this is a very unathletic kid. Yeah, and, like, Riley Pint was athletic in a certain way, but he wasn't loose, you know? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. That's a good way to put it. There – um there's like an explosive type of athleticism and then there is like a grace and elegance and body control type of athleticism. And yeah, if we were to look at most of the, the big league leaderboards and see, you know, Jacob deGrom or whatever, like they're a combination of the two of them. Almost always it's a guy with a great body and delivery almost all the time. Right. Uh, and of course, you know, like I mentioned, one of the exceptions two minutes ago. Um, and there are all kinds of ways to kind of get there and be a good MLB starting pitcher. The way Kevin Gossman has kind of done it is like shocking and sort of trend breaking in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, Robbie Ray, like Robbie Ray still, in my opinion, has terrible command. I have no idea how he walked fewer than two and a half guys per nine last year, but mostly it is dudes like Adam Wainwright and Max Freed and Jose Barrios and Michael Kopech and Aaron Nola, who's like so loose that it's like been diagnosed. You know, he's he's just double jointed in a clinical way. Right. Um, and yeah, like most of the time, that's just what it ends up looking like. And um, Jackson Job does have all those components. It's true. Right. It's a it's a it's a big one two three in this system. There's a bit of a bit of a drop off from from there. Dylan Dingler's a very good catching prospect. Um, but and and you know they. Took my guy, Ty Madden. They got him in the second round where he shouldn't have dropped that low. I understand why he dropped, but getting him that low, I think, is a real steal. Um, Colt Keith's an interesting young infielder, but but who's your um, who's your sleeper here as far as the 40 and lower guys? As far as the 40 and lower guys go, we we have a, most of the, the guys who we want to juice are in the 40-plus bracket right. here. So you got to juice somebody uh, who's not there. I think that, you know, Dylan Smith the pitcher from Alabama has the foundation of the types of things that we like to see in college pitchers. And he's going to an org that I think has proven over the last half decade or so that it's getting quite good at developing pitching. So like there's a strike throwing and like repertoire foundation with Dylan Smith, who still is projectable. He's barely 21, even though he's coming out of the sec. Like there's room, I think for more velo and, uh, like pitch optimization uh, that there's not, you know, for some of the other guys in the system. So I'll take Dylan Smith. I'm going to go with um, 
I'm going to do my Ernesto Martinez pick. I'm going to go with Roberto Campos, um, who I actually saw as an amateur in the Dominican. Um, it's an 18-year-old Cuban product with plus-plus uh, raw power. The, he was kind of the last guy who could afford what happened in 2020 to happen because he needed reps. And obviously he didn't get them uh, anywhere near the level he needed them. A uh, long way to go to figure out how to tap into that power consistently. But it's it's special power out of a, a big, big kid. I guess the other two to point to, they're in the 40 pluses. They're not, they don't count as whatever breakout parameters you've given me. But Bo Brisky and Wilmer Flores are mm-hmm. two four corners area prospects who the Tigers just beat everybody to. Brisky was a 2019 draftee. He was already at double A out of CSU Pueblo, the Thunder Wolves, um, who I remember when they were trying to get their football program off the ground while I was in college, and they solicited uniform and helmet design concepts from Twitter. Nice. And I still have my CSU Pueblo football helmet and uni concept like somewhere in a notebook in a box somewhere. Um, (laughs) I think they asked people to write a fight song for them too. Did Um, you do that? No. I, I wanted to though. Um, but yeah, Bo Brisky, four pitches, kind of deceptive, throw strikes, even though he's got a little bit of a head whack, uh, 92, 94, carry, plus change up on occasion, breaking ball is good, back foot angle really finishes consistently, just, you know, quick moving, rotation piece type, Bo Brisky, and then Wilmer Flores is 20 years old, he was an undrafted free agent in 2020, uh, was it 2020 or 2019, I forget now. But out of Arizona, he's a Venezuelan kid out of Arizona Western Juco. 2020, uh, 20K bonus, undrafted free agent. He's 20 years old and sitting like three to six, touching eight with two good breaking balls. Like how the hell did every Four Corners area guy whiff on this? I mean, me too. Like he was (laughs) here. Right? I, I don't know who the Tigers' four-corner scout is, but whoever you are, you deserve a raise. He deserves a raise. <laughs> we'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk about... Uh, you'll enjoy a song right now from Strange Light. We'll talk about them. We'll read your emails. We'll catch up with Eric. All that kind of good stuff. Just stick around.
Welcome back to the podcast. You just heard a song from the fantastic band Strange Light. Strange Light is Nat, Tony, Julia, and our good friend Ian. Ian the Vegan, part of Productive Outs, member of Colin Walled City. They're a Bay Area punk band. It's an all-star band. It's, they're like they're they're like the traveling Wilburys of punk, featuring members of Transistor, Transistor, Kowloon, Walled City, slew of other notable local bands. This is from their most recent EP that came out last month called "The World Needs Laughter." Uh, you can go to strangelightoakland.bandcamp.com and you can get this four-track EP for four dollars. What do they say? Another? It's less than a cup of coffee. Go there, give them four dollars, get this EP. That's it, period. Do that. I'm, I'm, that's a command. Do it. Um, and thanks to Ian. Thanks to Strange Light for providing the music for this week's show. It's time for emails. This is when you say, okay, it's good. Yeah, let's hit me with the emails. <laughs> Send your emails. Tinmusic at fangrass.com. We love getting your emails. Our first email comes from Eric. You didn't send an email to the show, did you? No. Do you have compulsive email tendencies? Do you, are you one of those people I don't know who what that means. tell themselves like to do batch emails? This is no. one of those online anxiety triggers for people. It's never been my problem checking my email too much, but apparently like people who compulsively check their email the way I think I probably used to compulsively open Twitter are told to like do them in batches at the beginning and end of your day. Hmm. I'm not compulsive about that, but I do, if I have a, a, you're not an iPhone person, but if I have like a circle with a number on it on my iPhone, it drives me crazy. Gotcha. I'm one of those people. But Eric, not this Eric, writes, not to go all David Roth on you, but remember Matt Wieters? He played as recently as 2020, so you probably do. More specifically, do you remember 2009 when Pakoda projected him for 311, 395, 544 when he had never played above double A? It's safe to say he didn't quite live up to the hype, but Fangraphs and Baseball Reference both have him as a borderline all-time top 100 catcher. What were your impressions of him as a player? Do you think there are lessons to learn from his prospectum? I'll hang up and listen. Um, I, You're not going to like what I think there is something to learn from his prospectum, but I am going to say it anyway, which is something um, that a very smart person once said to me that's always stuck with me, which is that players change often dramatically and often in very unexpected ways. Um, and that is true. But I, I do want to talk about Matt Wieters when we talk about, you know, we can talk about these, these projections for him and how he never really turned into the player that people thought he would return into when he was the um, consensus number one prospect in baseball. At the same time, if you look at his career and you measure it in terms of whatever you want to, let's go with war because we can, he is still one of the 10 best number five overall picks in the history of baseball he is still I, I think he's still i think he's you know he was the fifth pick and i believe he is the fifth highest war among first round picks in, in 2007 and so like the concept that he was like an utter failure i think goes back to something i've all time which is just the unrealistic unrealistic expectations and lack of understanding of attrition rate that people have when it comes to prospects and yeah, he didn't live up to expectations. He was not the guy we thought he was going to be. We thought he was going to be a world beater, impact player, superstar, MVP candidate. Everyone thought it. He didn't become that. Um, at the same time, again, he kind of is, is, is he's an above average number five overall pick, and that might shock you, but it's true. And it's kind of crazy. 
this uh, Matt Wieters was really happening in a prospect way at the advent of me participating in this like first person. Mm. Um, it was what he was 07 draft, right? That was the year I graduated high school. So the following summer is when I started working in baseball in the small way that I began at the iron pigs as an intern. And they just had copies of baseball America. At that point I was reading you and Keith um, and had been since like the middle of high school, basically. And, um, and so like I was aware of Matt Weeders and I made it a point that my friends and I go see him when he came through, you know, Reading or, you know, we would just go take a weekend trip to Baltimore. The group of us would go and, mm. you know, watch Melvin Moore or whatever. And there's Matt Weeders and he, you know, I had hyped him among my friends because they weren't reading you or Keith. And, uh, you know, like this is the guy, you know, um, and heuristically, he still, it would seem that way. Can you imagine if a guy was doing what he did in college as a switch hitting catcher built like he, and he were just a sophomore right now, what we would think of him? We would just, he would be number one on our board for next year's draft. Yeah. The same way Adley Rushman was uh, as a sophomore. Uh, and it was so easy at that time to start to see the Rushman Weeders stuff kind of become yeah. the scary, you know, uh, the thing that people would say the detractors of why to not just go all, all in on Adley. Uh, and some of it was just because they both wore orange and white. But yeah, like ultimately... And both and both big, big dudes. Right. Gigantic switch hitting catchers uh, who performed at an elite level in college and are just preordained to be these awesome guys. And ultimately, I like to say this to you and I like to say it as often as I can because I think it's a valuable question to ask. If you had to put Matt Weeders on a top 100 today, if we had to put a future value grade on him, even just knowing what we know he's going to be, oh. it's it's still like he's a 60 basically. Like yes. If we're doing it to the letter of the law. And again, by war, it is not precise, but generally over the course of many years, like it's going to get us a pretty close answer to the truth. Uh, this guy's a 60. And so he would just be somewhere in the top, you know, 15 or 20, even mm -hmm. knowing that he's going to become exactly what Matt Weeders was. Yeah. It's such a strange thing. Like, the, the, the again, like, it's, this, you get worked up over, you have a guy, you know, he should be number 12 or 13. He's, it means he's probably not going to make it. Now, you know, like, it's just, it's just, that's how it is. If there's a thing about Matt Weeders that 17, 18, 19 year old me noticed about him, it was that, and again, if I'm going to draw a distinction from Rutschman, Matt Wieters was a low heartbeat guy. Mm -hmm. And I grew up watching Bobby Abreu and felt for a while that he was not treated fairly by the sports culture in Philadelphia, which is does not take kindly to low heartbeat type guys. Like basically effort level is the driving variable like in the sports culture I grew up in. Oops. Uh, and so, like, you know, I noticed that about Matt Wieters, but I don't know if that had anything to do with him, quote unquote, falling short, which he yeah, sort of know. did I, for at least a little and bit. And he, he did. He was also a four-time All-Star. He had a, a four-win season and a five-win season. Um, it's not like he was a disaster by any stretch. Um, it's just, like, what we saw, it took a while to come around, but, like, you know, age 
25 and 26. He'd hit like 250, 260 with 20 plus bombs and defensive value, a couple gold gloves. Um, hit 22 home runs at the at you know as a 27 year old. Had three straight 20 plus home runs and and plus D behind the plate. Um, got hurt in 2014. Just kind of never came back from it, and and that was that. But and the fact that he played as long as he did is like evidence that this is true. Like this was a great. Talent. You know, Cameron Mabin is another one. You know, he retired mm-hmm. this week. Like Cameron Mabin had a hell of a career. Yeah. Even though he never, his ceiling was not what was projected slash hoped for. Right. And Mabin was a top, I want to he was a top 10 pick. And right, exactly. And he, I mean, he got to the big leagues at like 21, I want to say. And, you know, also never, right, right. Never turned into what people thought he was going to be but i think there was a three or four win season somewhere in there at one point um here's another one i this is i'm going to interject this between emails one and two go uh i asked the if you know a guy's going to have player x's career what is the fv and where do they fall yeah 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 you love these okay adam duvall The person I was speaking to about this and I had very different answers to this question. Adam Duvall's Duvall's now 33. He's now 33. He's a very, I think he's a tough player to wrap your head around at times. um, Just because he's such a, it's a weird skill set. It's a high slug, super low OBP player. I don't know, 45? I think it is in the 40 plus 45 area, probably a 45 at the same time. Like Adam Duvall has been passed around via trade for not a lot of stuff. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's many he's, times. He's, yeah. He's, he's, I guess the way to, but the best way to put it, like he's a replacement level everyday player, if that makes sense. <laughs> uh, maybe some of that is, is purely situational here that maybe I'm, mm-hmm. that's what I'm seeing is like no roster flexibility. Right, always around. A, it's not a disaster, but like because he's he's going to hit bombs, but at the same time, because the the strikeouts and the low walks, he's always going to it's it, it all ends up somewhere somewhere around, you know, a one hundred WRC plus, like you know, right around average, um, which which with with his defensive limitations is actually kind of below average because you know for a left fielder, hundred's not enough. Um, he's just like. He's good enough. He just fills that hole. That when you have a hole, he's good enough to fill the hole. But he's not what you want there. Um, and so yeah, like he's a a good role player. Yeah. Um, and I do think that the fact that he broke late as a player is part of why he's been moved around so much. Now that I'm really looking at this, like he has always struck me as being freely available if you need someone like this. Yeah. It's first. I mean, his first full time year, he's 27. Um, but also I think guys who tend to break late, like they start to break and have big league utility at a time when they also have no roster flexibility. So it's harder for mm-hmm. teams to hold on to them. Right. Like their option years are gone and stuff. They're, they've been signed as a minor league free agent or whatever. Um, but like, but anyway, the guy on the other end of the phone thought that Adam Duvall should just be a 55. Wow. Which, yeah, I was very surprised by that. Now... The guy on the other side of the phone also thinks that our war needs a positional adjustment update, which um, someone at BP wrote about earlier this week, mm. um, like related to 
war-like stats in general, which I think is right. true. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I was struck by that. It's just good to know that we're on the same pit, like, you know, getting the verbiage down so that we can see a prospect on other sides of the planet from one another and like know what the other one is saying. Right. Is an, is an important thing. And I'd hope, you know, it's important for the readers too, although it's harder for them because they have so many other versions of this to think about. So what was the uh, next email? Do you have Adam Duvall's page in front of you? You're not looking at his stats or anything, right? No, I can though. Do you want me to? Don't, no, don't, don't, don't. Okay. Adam Duvall's career on base percentage. 290 or something like that. 291. Very good. Wow. Well, yeah. I mean, I thought about this, you know? Yeah. No, I know. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, the, the version of this, what would you rather have? Freddie Gal- You know that you can have either six years of Freddie Galvis or six years of Adam Duvall. I take Freddie Galvis. I do too. And it's a similar offensive profile. There's not as much power. It's not as explosive. But Freddie's also like career 290-ish OBP with power. And he's, yeah, six or seven defender at short. Like switch hitting, middle, plays all over the place. There's just much more. So that's why like I think Freddie and like Jose Iglesias is another version of this. And I think Nicky Allen is the version of it coming through the minors now where it's just a 45, low variance, going to play in the big leagues for a decade, playing all over the place, elite defense, uh, and a very one-dimensional offensive profile such that there like, is not real big impact, not star-level impact, but just fine. And it'll play forever. And then, yeah, like Adam Duvall, to me, my instincts are that, that or rather that – shortstop 45 profile feels so true. It feels so right to think about that where we tend to. And then my gut is that Duvall is a level below that is to then Mm -hmm. 40, 40 plus Duvall. Like his role is as a 40. He's, you know, at the bottom end, it's the worst side of the platoon, rather no defensive value really. Although he did just play center field for a world series team. Right. Uh, Right. Like maybe this is part of the problem too, but but yeah, like no defensive value, low OBP, one-dimensional. Like it's a 40, but it's such big power that you plus it. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So this anyway, this is how we're trying to think about the stuff um, at the site. Our next email comes from Bryce, and Bryce says, why are there not as many prospect-for-prospect trades in the league? If you're not a contending team, you have a high minors guy who's blocked for a few years, why not trade him for a prospect on another team that needs a position? I mean, first of all, if you're not contending, you don't have anyone who's blocked because whoever's blocking is going to go away soon. Um, but the other, the, the more important thing to mention here is just that teams are more conservative than ever, and they just they don't want to be the team that was wrong. They don't want to be the team that gives up prospect X and has them turn into Fernando Tatis. Like they don't want to do that. They want they don't want to be the next Fernando Tatis for James Shields. They're terrified of it. Um, they hug their prospects more than ever. Uh, it's it's impossible to get to prospects. It's impossible to get to top ten prospects, even for good players at times. Um, they've gotten so conservative with trading prospects, and it's just it's it just doesn't happen because it's not that you don't like the guy on the other side of the trade. It's just that you're so afraid of giving up what you have in case you're wrong and he turns out great. Uh, I agree. I think that at some level there is like an asymmetry 
depending on where you are in the competitive spectrum, that like there are there's more space for it than teams behave like there is. Mm. We saw some. Oh, I agree. Yeah. Even in a reasonable range, like closer to the middle of the group, rather than talking about Tatis type guys. Um, some of the ones that we have seen are like the Cardinals traded Oscar Mercado for Jan Torres. You know, mm-hmm. like right, right, right. you could argue Jazz for Gallon is in kind a way, of yeah, yeah, closest yeah. to to like a big one that we've had. Uh, it did seem for a little while like Cleveland was willing to behave in a way where they were like, you know, we just want to backfill these upper level outfielders and just accumulate a bunch of platoon candidates and hopefully a bunch of them, enough of them will work out. Um, and they really haven't, except for Luplo, who they moved. Um, but yeah, like Jan Torres was teenage 6'4 projection right fielder here on the Arizona backfields crushing the uh, AZL. And the, the Cardinals had like no room for Oscar Mercado at the top of there. They had Rosarena. They had Tyler O'Neill, They had all these guys, Lane Thomas, like they were just clogged with these upper level outfielders. And yeah, I think when you have a situation like that, you should take an opportunistic look at mm-hmm. what if another team is going to value that type of guy more than you in a relevant way. Right. Uh, It's like, you know, you're playing sports video games. Your backup right guard is like a 92 overall or whatever he's developed. Like you're going to go find the other roster on the game where their right starting right guard is the worst. They're the team that's the algo on the game is going to offer the highest draft pick in exchange for your backup right guard. Like just do that. You can just teams are just going to behave that way if they're motivated to. You're listening to Madden Football Tips with Eric and Kevin. Well, no, like it's that's just the mechanism by which no, they're motivated. Like, yeah. oh, yeah, we're the sure. we're Cleveland. We want a bunch of platoon outfielders to try to patch together. I guess Fran Mill's been good too. Like they yeah, just but I mean even like you know, with the Astros when teams you know talking about trades and like there was some guy who had pretty good stuff, wasn't a leap, but pretty good stuff. I was just like, Yeah, trade him. The Astros grow arms on trees, like it's fine. Move him. Right. We've yeah. we have eight we have nineteen of these guys. Um, our last email comes from Jason. Jason says, Hey KG and co-host day cuisine. What's cooking? If I remember right from the old days, you were a bit of a foodie or at least enjoyed cooking at home. Did you jump on board any of the recent home cooking gadget trends? And if so, which ones are your favorite? Are you an air fryer guy now? A ninja foodie samurai? Do you sous vide all day? Or what other recent trendy home cooked things are you into? I still live by the Grandma Sunday Gravy recipe, which someone asked me for last month and I found. You shared with us over 10 years ago, even though Professor Parks poo-pooed the Dragon Breath Chili from Guy Fieri, I still use it as the core of what I call Mother of Dragon's Fighting Pit Chili. What are you doing? I I don't own an air fryer. I don't own a ninja. I don't even know what a ninja foodie is. I do not have a sous vide machine. We've got an Instant Pot that I really like. Do you have an Instant Pot? No. Recommend the Instant Pot. Okay. Very good. Everyone needs an instant pot. Um, I don't know. Like with this, with the the current state of the world, as a basic rule, we kind of cook six nights a week and order one. Um, when we go food shopping, I think of three dinners, and my wife thinks of three dinners. Um, we try to cook healthy, but I don't know. I haven't made anything amazing lately. I made salmon Vesuvio last night. That was pretty good. I think. Um... I have like a core 
group of things that I'll I'll tend to make. Some of which like, you know, around holiday time or just cooking for a bunch of people, you bust out because you know it's good. Um I don't I think that like it is worth it for listeners to think about their cooking. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to suggest like recipes. I remember liking that as a part of your old pod, but I never made anything anyone suggested. <laughs> you know, um, I, it lasts for, I, I, you know I, for Christmas, I made it, I made a very good mac and cheese, like made it um, using like fancy cheeses, like a Gruyere and a white cheddar. That was the last really good thing I think I made. I guess what's a thing in the kitchen that is indispensable that maybe people don't realize? Like, is it is it an Instapot? They're really nice. Like, it's just, I mean, it's a pressure cooker, is what it is. But they're 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 very good. Um, like, it, I don't know. Like, a cast iron pan is indispensable to me. Like, you have to have a good cast iron. Yeah, pan. that's true. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of like one level up gadget that is like. Hey, I have, actually, I have one, this is badass. I have one for you. I cannot remember its name. <laughs> like, does, do people look. really need a waffle maker? Do they really? No, need... nobody told. No, no. But there's, we have one in a cabinet. Never uses it. Um, ice cream machine's nice at times. Um, we have a can opener that I can't recommend enough. It's like a weird. I can't remember what it's called. I think it's Italian, and it's it's um, it's like just it's the size of a fist, and you put it on top of the can, hit a button, it goes around the can itself. And it doesn't okay. open the can from the top. It opens it from the side, so there's no like shards or anything. And you just kind of lift the lid up, and it goes from there. Life changer. I like. Uh, I'm looking in my drawers right now. Actually, I like <laughs> the. There's a. You take the, that one wrong if you want to. The immersion blender. Yeah, yeah, sure. Like, or a stick blender. Mm-hmm. I use that more than you'd think. Like there are just reasons to to do it like i made a butternut squash soup earlier this week like it just makes doing certain yeah, you stuff need it for that. on the stovetop way easier mm-hmm. um or when you're trying to get something to dissolve like on the stove or you get a can of whole peeled tomatoes going in a soup or something like that you want to break it up like the stick blender is pretty good they're great uh, so that's that's the one and then there's an electric kettle too that's another one where it's like you want hot water almost instantaneously that's a pretty efficient thing. Hmm. It definitely feels better using that than it does like crank the stove up and do the whole. That's what we do, yeah. Uh, and then the infrared thermometer. That's yeah, so a good thermometer is very good, right? A good we have a, a good meat thermometer. You shove it in, instant read. Those are very important. Yeah, I think that that's good to have on your utility belt. Some kind of good thermometer setup because then it ben really Clemens. opens confidence with meat stuff up. Yeah, Ben Ben Clemens shared some sort of food recipes that people actually cooked a few weeks ago. We'll get it. We'll get back into this at some point. Confidence um, with meat stuff is this? Confidence with meat stuff. I think Pause. I think yeah, it's not. Yeah, you're actually wrong. Someone's going to be. Maybe it will be. Who knows? Um, <laughs> that's it for emails. Uh, send your emails to us. Chinmusic at fancrafts dot com. We will read all of them. Um, it's time to catch up with Eric. Eric, it's prospect season. How are you holding up? I'm doing okay. <laughs> looking at the um, looking at the schedules for junior college stuff, which just starts later this month, um, and realizing that I might have to be on the road for MLK weekend stuff this year is staring up at me in a way that sort of stressed me out last night. Um, 
Where's your stress come from? Stress, the stress about what part of this? The, just the fact that it's coming or because the volume, no, like the yeah. volume of work and the level of like coordination it will take to finish the back half of these mm-hmm. as like the college baseball season has begun. Right. That the anticipation of that. Yeah. is like, <laughs> it's not a fun thing <laughs> it, when you're in it almost like it's way easier than the anticipation of it. But Oh, for sure. That's why, you know, when we get off here, I'll just like focus on doing tiger stuff. There's something about having no structure other than the one that you like are searching to find. It's not like I go into an office and someone like notices if I'm not there, you know, Mm -hmm. like the day is just as I've improved at doing this job on its own. The improvement hasn't led to like things going faster. It just leads me to filling time with more stuff like, you know, sourcing data and doing video and, and other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is just my tendency, which I, you know, fight as the cat claws up my body. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, it's part of it and it's just fun when the thing that, is like the fuel along the way is like, oh, Bo Brisky. <laughs> right. <laughs> Look at this. Like, oh, I'm going to watch this Bo Brisky start. I'm just going to put on his best start. And it's like, oh, shit. Mm. Like, okay. <laughs> I can see how. And so I don't know, you know, now we get to that feeling of discovery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is so much fun. Yeah, no, uh, it's the best. Yeah, when you talk to someone, they bring up a name, you're like, who? Really? Oh, wait, yeah. what? Yeah, that's the best. And it's just like, you know, it's as simple as – there's so many pieces of it and we have so many people to, to thank who – like if I need a Phillies Instructs roster just to go through and like find, you know, some of these kids are playing Venezuela on Winter Ball or whatever. Like we can watch mm-hmm. video and we've got data and we can see what, what their stuff looks like and you start to put stuff together and – uh, Baseball America has the Phillies Instructs roster at my fingertips. It means I don't have to worry about texting someone at like 10 p.m. Mm-hmm. because I want to try to find a video of Jean Cabrera. You know, like I get to find it on my own and, at, you know, have that f- that feeling of discovery like, oh, wow, like this guy's listed at 5'11", but really he's 6'5". <laughs> mm-hmm. And he was sitting 95 in the DSL last year. And then you, you know, find some video of him and you're just like, damn, like – He's going to go on there somewhere. I know to ask people about him over the next three days as we're writing this list and all that stuff stacks and it makes it so that if one thing goes wrong, you know, a cat's got to go to the vet or my car gets dinged or whatever. I fuck up in some way that costs me half a day, (laughs) uh, you know, then the whole thing starts to teeter (laughs) in a way that I don't enjoy. Right. Uh, like the pace of it, you know, like, oh, like traveling is exhausting and the holidays are exhausting. Right. And so now after all that, you got to start doing this again, like, you know, pulling 10, 12 hour days, but so much of it is a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, Do you, do you, do you make a, a conscious effort to regulate yourself so you don't overdo it i I want to i don't think you do (laughs) i I know you don't do it enough to be honest with you i want to and uh you know like 
certain things I've tried over the years have been helpful. Getting into mindfulness meditation has at times been helpful. Um, but yeah, like if I really could set myself in such a way, like I'd wake up every morning and meditate for 10 minutes and then work out right away and get that out of the way and then have like some sort of more rigor- rigorous curriculum for myself. It's not like I'm a distractible like slacker. I just keep working. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, sometimes it'll be like, oh, it's three o'clock and I didn't eat. Or, <laughs> you know, like, ow, my shoulders feel weird from sitting a lot and working. Um, and so, yeah, like, especially it's just taken time to realize that I've been doing some of it to that extent because, like, now I'm 33 and there are just more consequences for some of this stuff. Yeah in a different way. And I know that yeah. like, I've only begun to understand what that means, but I have begun. Um, so that's happening and like figuring out how to fight with that. And like also like integrating new folks into the process has been fun. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like there's new stuff all the time and there are times when I wish there weren't new stuff for a while, like a pandemic, <laughs> but um but it just seems that that's the nature of things. I'm learning that as well. Yeah, for sure. And the leaf um, blowers. I don't know if you guys can hear the leaf blowers in my neighborhood on some of these podcasts I do, but they are there. <laughs> there are cities in this country that have banned leaf blowers. I think I wish Tempe, Arizona could be one. <laughs> when I read, you know, David Foster Wallace had wrote a thing, I guess, where he maligned the sound of the suburbs as like part of a reason that he lived in remote part of the Midwest was to not have this. (laughs) And I, at the time I read that or heard it, I don't even remember how that information came to be in my brain anymore. I was a younger, young man. And I was just like, how could that be? (laughs) Like how sensitive do you have to be to sound for that to, and it just turns out, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're night, they're horrible. Now we have leaf blowers. Yeah, now in Illinois though, we have the snow blowers and the snow plows going up and banging on the streets and stuff at three in the morning. But there's something about the gravity of the important. the weather event in that situation that it feels that at least it more appropriate. It is appropriate, yeah. Than a thing that you could just do with a broom, mm-hmm. like you just get a big broom. If you take one thing home from this episode of the podcast, just get a big broom. It's time for a moment of culture. Wait, don't Do we you... have to d- delve, dive into your psyche at all? <laughs> sure, if you'd like to. Do you have questions? Yeah, like what? at what point – certainly there's a difference in our nature. But like at what yeah. – was it ever like this for you? And did you it ever have It still like, is. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Absolutely. You take breaks. Um, but yeah, no, I, I still get that way. Yeah, absolutely. I, I will spend, I, yeah, I will have a very long day today finishing my Tiger's blurbs and I'll have a good time doing it. Um, yeah. Today and I've had fun. Be... I've had fun talking to people about the Tigers who've seen the Tigers players. Um, I've had fun talking to industry people about the, the players and learning stuff about them. And yeah, no, I can, I can still get totally into it and totally jazzed about new players. Um, and, and learning about players that I think I know a little bit about and I think I can know a lot about them. Um, it's, 
you know, it, it's very managed. I think you have to be like that if you're going to do this just because there's so many players to keep up with. But I also, I don't know, I spent like eight years without really a day off. So, yeah, of right. course I get like this. Yeah. It is like have- the, the stuff that does it is like I don't want the tool grades of the players on the board to read in a way that is inconsistent with the way they are ranked. So mm-hmm. there is like there are many checks it's like before an airplane takes off, <laughs> they got to check a bunch of parts of it. And so like before the thing can go up, you know, all, I just keep going and going and going to make sure that. Yeah. There's know, a lot of talks. Freddie Zamora. You're right. Like Bryce Terang and Freddie Zamora are really similar. Aren't they? Don't they belong closer on the, together on this list? Mm-hmm. You know, then you have them, Eric. Like, yes, that's absolutely true. Uh, and, and people, like yeah, the, people don't realize, you know, we're talking at this point almost every day. And at some point we'll go, okay, can we look at the sheets and we'll go through some stuff? Sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're just pieces of, and it's, you know, having Meg around is like, it's, it's good for some of it because she's this way too. And so when she's the one who's editing all the lists, some of it gets taken off my plate because it's just her nature to be that way too. Mm-hmm. But also, it's not like the either one is inclined to say to the other, hey, you should relax about it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're just going to be like, yes, good, good job. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> yeah, and, I, and things are going well this year, I think, in terms of timing and, and, and the quality of the work. Right, yeah. And ultimately, like, this is why the Florida trip is so – it just times everything. I don't know. I like talking about how the sausage is made. I'm not complaining. Uh, about our no. our jobs, it's the best. But we are we do part of the reason that we're here is because we're like we're willing to subject ourselves to this, which is maybe not a thing to glorify. <laughs> to be psychotic about it, yeah. Can we do a moment of culture now, or do you want to delve more? No, let's. We can. Yeah. What do you got? You go first this week. <laughs> okay, I'm calling an audible. Um, so I got an Xbox Series X for Christmas, and and um. My wife and I like to play video games, in particular survival horror video games where I hold the controller and my wife tells me what to do. Um, And we just finished playing a game that got fairly middling reviews that we both really liked. It's not perfect, as it's flaws. It's called The Medium. And it's a survival horror game. And it's it's from Poland, Eric. It's a Polish video game. Like, the credits are all Polish. And it takes place in Poland. And so there's this nice kind of Eastern Bloc vibe to it because it takes place like this old, like, you know, communist time era Poland resort where something horrible happened. Um, and you're trying to figure out what happened there. And, and it's it's uh, it's well done. And it's, it's if you if you like the most popular or most famous of the survival horror series and might be Resident Evil. But the other one is Silent Hill is the other big dog. And a lot of people have played the Silent Hill games. And this was like a Silent Hill game, but without the combat. And the combat's always the worst part of Silent Hill games anyway. It's a lot more kind of puzzle-based and trying to figure out where to go next or how to get what you need to go where you go next. There's a very interesting um, kind of gameplay mechanic where your main character kind of has um, an identical version of her in a more of a, a ugly spiritual world. And at times you're playing both of them on the screen. And if you move one, the other one moves as well. So they're moving at the exact same pace. You're really controlling one of them, but they're both moving in the same way. And sometimes what you do in the real world will affect what's happening in the word spirit world and vice versa. And that makes the puzzles much more interesting. 
Um, and the cool vibe, cool setting. We, and it's like a game that got okay reviews and I don't think it made a lot of impact, but we, you know, it was on Game Pass and so we played it for free and I, we, we got, you know, about, took about 10 hours to beat. We, we had a really good, it was like, I mean, we spent a lot of time late at night over the last week going, man, I hope the puppy goes to sleep soon so we can play the game. And so, uh, um, that's a good, I, that's a great feeling to have. That's, that's a good, you know that's a good, that's a good, a good video time. game. That's a good yeah. video game. Like I hope the puppy comes down so we can, so we can play the game. How has um, been adjusting to the Xbox controller? It's fine. Like it, it's been fine. Like it's still like I, it took me a couple of days to get used to the buttons, just because. Especially, it's more of a problem with the Xbox or the Switch, because um, PlayStation buttons, as you know, are have shapes on them. So it's like hit X, hit triangle, hit square, hit circle. Um, a, a Nintendo Switch controller is A B X Y. A Xbox controller is A B X Y, but the A B X Y are on different buttons. And so that's been the biggest thing. But actually, I I really I actually really like the Xbox um, UI and environment, um, and I'm very happy with the box. I've never had one before. I've always been a PlayStation person, but like the Japanese games I want to play are now on the Switch. And frankly, Game Pass made me switch from PlayStation to Xbox. And Game Pass is like almost a Netflix kind of thing, where I give them whatever fourteen bucks a month, and I have this access to a library of games I can just download and play. I. I you know, it's it's one of those things where like I'll just do this, and I really kind of won't buy games. It's a really good library. Cool. You know, you can play if you're into. I'm not like a Halo kind of person. I don't really play online or do first person shooters. But like that's a huge game. It's just there online, and um, it, it's a lot of very like AAA, very good titles that are just if I want to play them, I hit a button, I can play them. So yeah, been a big fan of the Xbox so far. My. Uh moment of culture is just a podcast that I like that I've discovered within the last couple of months. Okay. It's called We Might Be Drunk. Uh, <laughs> New York comedians, Sam Morrill and Mark Norman. They seem like Oh, I know guys. Mark Norman. Mark Norman. Yeah, I like Mark Norman. He's funny. Yeah, they're both funny. Um, I discovered Morrill during the pandemic because he did a rooftop hour uh, in New York City that just went up for free on YouTube and I thought it was good. Uh, so they, these two guys, they're New York City comedians. They have someone make them a different drink or two every week and they've maybe had a few before they record sometimes. It sounds like it. Um, and yeah, they're just funny guys. They they have a, a little bit of structure to the episode in that every episode has a recommendation for something, basically their moment of culture. Uh, right. Oh, they had Sean Patton on recently. One of my favorite unknown comedians or not well known, well enough comedians. They, uh, they have a, a pet peeve <laughs> that they, they bring to each episode and then they bring like a, a skeleton or like a premise for a bit or something that they're working on Oh, nice! Uh, every week. So it's a, it's a pretty good way to spend an hour. They have a Patreon that I support. Like it gives me an extra episode of their, uh, their pod every week. Uh, Kaz Yamazaki, who you know listens yeah. to the show, is emailed in friend of the show. Um, he's a Norman guy too, so that that's they're good young comedians, I think, in uh, New York City now. We might be drunk. The podcast list. I think we're done here. It's time to go write Tiger's blurbs. Yeah, let's go write some Tiger's blurbs. <laughs> so uh, again. Thanks to Strange Light for providing the music. If you want to email the show, chinmusic at fangraphs.com. Uh, and we will talk to you next week. Hope, well, I'm not going to tease that. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs> <laughs>